Hi, and welcome to the Tough Fish Show. I'm your host, Jen Melius, and I'm so glad that you're here and can't wait to introduce to you Suzanne Dunlap. Suzanne Dunlap is the award-winning author of historical fiction for adults and teens and an author accelerator certified book coach. Her books span periods from the Middle Ages to the 20th century, all feature strong female protagonists and illuminate something about women's history. Many owe their genius to the research she did for her PhD in music history from Yale University. She lives in Bidford, Maine with her 15-year-old dog, Betty. Let's dive into the pond and meet Suzanne. Welcome to the Tough Fish Show. I am so excited to bring to you Suzanne Dunlap. Suzanne, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, it's really an honor. I'm so happy to be here. It's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun, for sure. I'm so glad you are. And I would love for you to start with, how did you get into writing? Oh, this is a story that isn't a lot like other people. I have, I sort of wrote on and off when I was younger, and I had 20 years or more as an advertising copywriter for my business. And I really sort of wanted to be an academic. Uh, I went, I have a PhD in music history from Yale. But when I finished it, it was at the time when all the humanities programs in colleges were being gutted, and everything was STEM, right? So there were very few jobs around and I didn't have the flexibility to move to one because I was an older student. And anyway, so I had all this stuff that I really wanted to share about music history, especially about women. I'm, I'm you know, if feminism was my sort of slant on all the music history. And I just sort of started thinking, what can I do with these stories? And I just started sort of writing them as books, as novels. And I discovered it was really a lot of fun to do that. And I, and I um, queried the person who became my agent. And he's, he actually called me on the telephone and said, what you've written is not a novel. <laughs> at, which point, at which point he sort of set me on this thing, read this, read this, read this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then come back to me in a year or whatever it was, six months when you've worked on it more. And um, I did. And obviously, I had made enough progress for him to think, okay, I could work with this. And so he took me on. And, and I will tell you that my first novel came out when I was 50 years old. Very cool. Very, mm. very cool. I love that. Mm. I love that. But what I'm hearing is a few things too. So for instance, like leveraging your music history background, but that history element coming through just to show up in your writing and what I also heard was a willingness to to put yourself out there to get feedback and then to when you basically heard no no not yet it was a sense of saying okay I can I can work with that and I'm gonna go back and do what I need to do to get closer to that yes and not let it be a deterrent but let it be a motivator and I I love how you you did that and that he gave you something to work with too, to say, okay, this is what we need. This is, you need to add this, or you need to come at it from another angle and I'll look at it in six months or what have you. I love that. 
I love that that happened. Yeah. I think that's so cool. Well, it, it really was cool. And in that I essentially credit him with teaching me how to write a novel. <laughs> but what I did was, you know, it was really a sort of self-taught thing. I read a lot of books and went, ah, you know, I'm, I'm naturally bent towards learning. So this was just another opportunity for me to learn something. Yeah. And I think it's also what has led to me not just writing, but also coaching because I like to teach it because I had to learn it myself, you know? So, um, yeah, that was really big for me. Yeah. Yeah. So you've hit on a couple of things that I would love for you to unpack a little bit more. One, Mm -hmm. you mentioned about the coaching, but also with your Mm -hmm. writing and the fact that there is, if somebody's watching the video portion of this interview, there is a historical picture behind you. So, and I know you write in historical fiction. So how does all of that kind of tie in together between the music background and the history? I mean, how does that all take shape in your writing and in your coaching? That's such a good question. And basically, I think it starts with my focus on women in history. And because that was what I did in my academic life, short as it was. (laughs) But it's also what fascinates me is going back and seeing, you know, the conditions, how, how women were able to exist in those times, what they had to navigate, and, um, you know, whether they're historical women, such as in my novel, The Portraitist, which who was uh, Adelaide Labiguillard, a painter in 18th century Paris, or someone from my imagination who just could have been in, in a certain place at a certain time. Um, and I, I just I had a feeling those were such important things to me to bring to life, to share with people, that that's how I ended up finding and writing those stories. So I, I guess that. it starts with women. Does the music show up in your in your books? Ah, yeah, no, of course. My first two books, my first, um, the ones that were published by Touchstone of Simon & Schuster were both based in music. The first one was was called Emily's Voice, and it was about a singer in Louis XIV's court. And uh, I was big in 17th, 17th, 18th century was where I really concentrated my work in graduate school. And then the second one, was Liszt's Kiss, Liszt the composer. And my heroine was a young pianist who uh, through various connections starts taking piano lessons with Liszt and falls in love with him. But that's not the whole story by any means. It's, you know, it takes place in uh, 19th century Paris during the year of the cholera outbreak. I think it was 1832. And, um, and I'm a pianist, so so that that had a lot to do with deciding to write about a pianist as well. And then another, I have this YA young adult heroine who is a, a violinist, 18th century violinist in Vienna. Her fa- her godfather is Haydn, but she's a total and she's a totally fictional character. But it has been so fun because I have this little series of young adult historical mysteries that she's the sleuth and the musician. And so I've kept music in it for that. But I've also branched out (laughs) from there and had things that where music might be involved, but it's not the central focus. So, 
Okay, so a few things are coming to me. First off, I also have a music background. I studied piano, I studied sure. voice. So <laughs> so what I'm hearing truly there's an element of creativity that really just when you're singing or when you are playing piano even if you haven't composed those pieces, you're bringing yourself into it, which makes it your own. And mm -hmm. you feel that when you feel the music, it takes on something else. Like you, yeah. you can convey more when you understand how that music is to be played. And then you're putting yourself into it. And I feel like that also comes through in writing because you can take one piece whether you're the author or you're reading someone else's work, but because you're putting yourself into it, you know, it's going to take shape a little differently because you've added you into that element, if that makes sense. So interesting. So interesting. You should say that because in Liszt's Kiss, basically I structured it around a particular uh, Chopin nocturne. And it was one that was written uh, around the same time, but a little bit later, but I fudged that. And I knew exactly what was going to happen at what point in the music because I'd played it. And I could and I could see, you know, feel her interaction with the piano and her uh, emotions while she's playing it. It's got this, it builds to this incredible climax. And, you know, anyway, so that was very instrumental, <laughs> excuse the pun, <laughs> in my, in that book. Yeah, but it, I would imagine it would also help with the, essentially what I'm hearing is a, a lot of showing, enabling the showing of that, the performing of that mm -hmm. piece or the performing of that, you know, whether you're singing it, whether you're playing the piano or another instrument, you know, even if it's not performing it in the context of true concert, you know, performing mm -hmm. per se, but how you situate at the piano, how you feel when you are sitting there with your hands a certain way and there are certain times when you're reading music that it's telling you finger placement and it is the most awkward finger placement that you could ever think of mm -hmm. and it's like why is this why am I doing this but it makes sense when you think about the big picture the full piece but in that moment mm -hmm. it's, this is so awkward and how is this ever going to work and will I get it right yeah. so yeah so those are things that I think would just add nuance and add add interest for your characters and for that experience for your reader too because of having that background and being able to to show a little more yeah absolutely and what's really interesting though is that my 18th century violinist i knew a lot i know a lot of really world-class violinists because i spent a year while i was in college i spent a year at the royal college of music in london and um, I met uh, incredible pe people, and and I I have never played the violin, but I've seen it played so much, and I have you know I can just I just feel like I can imagine what it feels like to play the violin, and so that's that had to come through as well in in that, and and then moving on from that, when my 18th century painter Adelaide Labigliard, I'm not an artist. But I know a lot of artists and I read a lot and I like read an, a treatise, an 18th century treatise on painting. And so I had to really put myself there and really think, what does it feel like? What does it smell like? What's the what's the tactile, you know, the sensations and the sound of a brush on canvas and that kind of thing. So um, I think that it that even though I 
don't do that myself. As you say, having the experience of creating at the piano and knowing how that feels physically kind of informs the other things. Well, what I'm also hearing is another way of research, especially when you're writing historical fiction, you need to be looking at things in that period, whatever period you're going to write about, you need mm -hmm. to be looking at things at that time and to understand those nuances. So what I'm also hearing are different ways to look at research, different ways to mm -hmm. further cultivate the space that you want to create and immerse your reader but another way of researching. So I, I think that's lovely. Yeah, um, wherever, if, if anyone who's writing historical fiction, wherever you can find content sources contemporary to the period that you're writing, it's really valuable because you can get, even just in somebody's diaries, you get the sense of how they talked, the words they chose, um, and you know, uh, in fact, it was somebody's diaries who that gave me the whole idea for the for that novel, the the portraitist, because her big rival wrote a uh, it wasn't a diary, it was an autobiography. Uh, years after my my protagonist died, and they were great rivals. They went through everything step by step together. They 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 were elected to the Royal Academy in the same year. They showed in the same thing. I searched her. Uh, her autobiography, I had it on Kindle so I could do a cert, word search. Nowhere in it does she even mention this rival. So I thought, hmm, that's interesting. <laughs> so that that led me to sort of, there's the base, sort of the basis of some conflict there. But um, so you my point about this is that you not only have to look for those things, you have to read between the lines too. You have yes. to read about, you have to think about what's not there. I love that. That is so important that you're so spot on because there are nuances that would be in when you're reading the diary, for instance, and you're seeing what's going on. It might not be said the way you would say it now. So when you mm -hmm. were reading and understanding we're back in this space, what might have been said at this time, now you could see, oh, maybe this person really is interested in this person or, oh no, maybe this relationship isn't all that it seems, or maybe there's something, there's a, there's a conflict like you were saying going on, but it might not have been described in a way that you would think as we are thinking now, because it's, it's, it's not that time period. It's a different time period. Exactly. But you find that out and you see it's it, that's all the sort of physical things that about the environment. But overlaid on that is that the essential emotions are the same. You know, the feeling of uh, not wanting to or, or, or being the underdog and really having to work and strive and seeing your rival just, you know, seemingly sail into these all these things without having to try, the emotions that would be behind that are would be the same as they are now. It's just that they would be expressed differently and shown differently in that environment. So I would love for you to share some tips for a writer, for instance, who maybe they are struggling with how to 
get to know their character a little bit more or how to really come through the dialogue or come through the more show versus tell type of thing. Because what I'm hearing is you have a an ability to really strengthen characters, have a strong character development happening. So do you have some tips that might help an author come through that? What might help them? I think that what I find most helpful is really being immersed in the setting, is really sort of going deeply into what the what the surrounding, what the life of that character was like. And um, being sensitive to the little things, like uh, how it felt to walk in certain kinds of skirts, for instance, at different time periods. Um, and also what was available to them in terms of what they could do, how they, if they wanted to do X, how would they be able to get there? How, what would happen? Um, and, and also knowing enough about the time, things like transportation, who had the money, what could it buy, all of these things so that you can really feel, put yourself in that character in their time period. Other than that, I don't think there's anything, any tricks or anything, except also being very careful not to use an anachronisms. You know? And by that, I don't mean um, having to have everything in very archaic language. No, that does not work, not for a modern reader, but not putting okay in the mouth of an 18th century character, for instance. And there are other things, the phrases that we find very, very sort of common, which you might just write without thinking, and then it's it's just not right for the time. Oh. Well said. Oh, I think that is so important. That is so, so mm -hmm. important. So I know that you do coaching. I know you do book coaching. Mm. How does that fit into writing? I have to say that when I took the courses to be certified as a book coach, it helped my own writing so much because it made me have to think about how things happen and these questions you're asking for instance about the character uh it might be somewhat intuitive to me I'm, i might not have been able to say here's how here's how i do it or what's important but having to then take all that on board and find a way to help another writer through their journey as a writer for their creativity makes you have to think about it in a whole other way. And it gave, you know, there are tools that I use with my clients that I use with myself now. And and it really, and as some of them are really like torture, I have to say that. <laughs> Things I make myself do now, because I know it's gonna end up with me being able to write a better book, one that holds together really well without having to write it, you know, 20 drafts or something. So um, yeah, it's, I feel like there's a symbiosis between them for sure. And and I love coaching. I just, I get so much out of it for me personally. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. So when you are working with clients and you are bringing in your own writing experience, so for instance, with historical fiction and working in past timelines, how would you help a client who is working in a current timeline or even dual point of view? Like what kind of tips would you offer to help a writer who might be trying to move between the two? 
So a couple of things there. One is that story is story, no matter where and when it's set. So a story in the past has to has to have the same kinds of engine, same sort of engine beneath it that a story in the present does. And so it's not about the 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 writing itself. The writing is kind of the last thing. The actual, you know, how you're what words you're putting on the page. What's really important is getting the getting that whole whole thing to stick together, to hang together as a story. Um, so that's the first thing. So I don't really see a difference between coaching contemporary and historical. When I'm coaching historical, they get the advantage of that I'm really good at spotting anachronisms and things like that and helping them, you know, avoid those kinds of oopses in their in their writing. But I still put them through the same story paces that I would put anyone through. And um, for me, too, learning a lot about different genres has been fun. I've coached cozy mystery. I haven't coached romance yet, but... Uh, lots of different things and dual timeline this is the my current obsession I have a wonderful client whom I've been working with for more than a year on her dual timeline novel contemporary and then 19th century and uh, it has just taught me so much helping her figure out how those timelines go along what what connections there are between them how what the differences are and again with her she's she has never done this before and never written historical. So I'm always pointing out in her historical timeline. No, she wouldn't have said that then, you know, or he wouldn't have done that. This is too soon. They're getting close too soon for this time period, you know, that right. sort of thing. Right. So, um, yeah, yeah. But I love the, the added challenge of having to interweave two timelines and have them mean something, be done on purpose so that the whole ends up being greater than the sum of the parts, so to speak. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. I love how you explain that because I, what's running through my mind is essentially literally two lines, two timelines running to say, this is what's happening in this, in, in this period. And then this is what's happening in, in period number two. And where do they intersect? What's causing them to, to meld here or what's happening where it makes sense that why they're happening in this duel so when they go back apart they're, they're running along parallel and still making sense and then joining back together and running along and joining back together so I feel like it's nice that it's a little ebb and flow but it should be ebbing and flowing appropriately and to uh, to meet up where they're supposed to and it makes sense versus going where did that come from yeah exactly and there are some authors who have done this incredibly well and I would tell anybody to go and read Kate Morton's The Clockmaker's Daughter, because that to me is the absolute perfect example. And she's not just two timelines. She has four or five. And the way she interweaves them, and they all make sense because they're all linked. Um, it's just, it's, it's masterful. So, you know, if you're curious about multiple timeline novels, go read that one. I'm actually reading it for the second time now. but. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's not easy. It's not easy to do that. It's hard enough to write a, a novel that takes place in one time and place, let alone two different times and places that you have to find a relationship between them. And the big thing is 
they both have to have protagonists that the reader is really cares about and wants to see what happens so that you don't get the thing where they're going along and they're really involved in this timeline and then you then you have to go to the other one for a while and they get and they're not as interested like oh i just want to get back to that other timeline that's not what you want you want to sort of say oh i don't want to leave but oh this one's really really cool too <laughs> and leaving giving enough clues so that they can sort of see how they're going to go together but making sure that it doesn't come together until the very end and you know that's tricky yes yes now mm -hmm. you've mentioned something that i think is is important i did believe that for writers to continue to do well in the craft you need to read <laughs> because when you're oh, reading yes. when you're reading you're you're not just giving yourself a a different type of creative outlet but you're seeing you're reading sometimes from a different angle sometimes it's kind of hard to start to shut off and just read for enjoyment versus reading and you're seeing structure happening or you're seeing different tools or different devices, different ways that the writing is coming alive for that book. But do you have any suggestions for writers when they're going back through and reading, but reading as a writer? Uh, that is also an excellent question. And, and it's so important to do that. I think there's even a craft book called something like reading like a writer or something like that and um because you need to tune in to what's happening and i i love nothing better than reading something and going along and seeing and i said thinking how did he do that or how did she do that i need to unpack this and see what happened you know what was what made this possible and uh I find that exciting. Other people might say, oh, it spoils it for me because I know too much now and I can't read. And it's like, it depends on, for me, that's enjoyment in reading. It's not, it, although I do like my my fluffy, completely mindless stuff as well, which is for escapism. But even those, if they're good, I'm like, hmm, how did, how did she get those two together in the end? <laughs> I knew they were going to be, but, you know, she did it in this way that, that really worked. And I think you can learn something from any good book. You can also learn from books that aren't that good because you can see where they lost the opportunity, where it doesn't happen quite right, where something happens too fast or it's the pace lags and that sort of thing. And it's all valuable learning for a writer. And I just, I will tell you that if, if somebody comes to me wanting coaching and I ask them what they read and they say, oh, I don't really read much. I'm saying, I'm not sure I'm the right coach for you <laughs> because you just, you have to be a reader if you're going to be a writer. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Suzanne, this has been mm. awesome. Where can people connect with you? Where can they get your books? Where can they learn more from you? Uh, well, I have a website, of course, it's Suzanne-Dunlap.com. Don't forget the hyphen, or it won't go to the right place. And there I have stuff about my books and my coaching. So you can just find out all of that there. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn. And Instagram, I'm at Suzanne underscore Dunlap. And um, my Facebook is at Suzanne Dunlap author. But um yeah, and I, I, I'm fairly active on it, and I enjoy connecting with people. So, yeah, those are the best ways to get in touch with me. Oh, and my books are pretty much available at most retail, online retail outlets, for, for sure. 
in some libraries and stuff. I would encourage you if you're going to buy a physical book to do it through bookshop.org because that supports independent bookstores and you can choose your local bookstore, but not everything is available there and they don't sell eBooks. So that depends on your reader. Absolutely. And I have a couple of books that are audio too. So that that's another thing. So, yeah. Very cool. Thank you so much for this conversation. This has been so much fun, Suzanne. Thank you. It's been great for me. I really appreciate it. You asked really good questions. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad you were here and know there were some valuable nuggets shared to keep going, keep writing, and keep sharing your work. I'm a big believer that if you have a book that's in your heart to write, then there's someone else out there who needs to read it. Your story needs to be shared, so you have to write it and get it out into the world. Until next time, keep swimming upstream while going with the flow and get your book into the world. To learn more about Tough Fish and jump into the pond, visit jennifermilius.com forward slash tough fish.